First Bible reading today comes from Micah 5. Marshal your troops now, city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. The second reading is from Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, 
they returned to their country by another route. Well, that was so well read by our bridegroom, wasn't it? And Tom and Emily getting married next, next Saturday. I know what they're excited about for Christmas. That is that it gets finished quickly so they can get married, I, I suspect, is what's going on. Uh, we've just heard the Bible read. We've heard about uh, God entering our world, the birth of the Lord Jesus. Let me pray as we start to think about it a bit together. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your wonderful kindness to us in your Son, uh, Father, we pray that as we explore it together, you'll give us a sense of understanding what it's all about, uh, the ability to uh, just take it not only to mind but to heart and to work out its implications for our lives. We pray a list in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Sue, my wife, she has an aunt in Melbourne. She has just recently turned 90 years of age. She regularly catches up with a group of friends who are at a similar age and stage of life. And when they get together, they have two rules that they rigidly reinforce for their gatherings. First rule is this. You're not allowed to talk about your health and ailments. Or if you do, it's for a maximum of 10 minutes. Okay? Bear in mind the age. Okay? Second rule, you're only allowed to talk about your grandchildren for a maximum of 10 minutes as well. However... There's an understanding attached to this. This is the understanding. It's understood that everyone's grandchildren are special, but that your grandchildren are just that little bit more special and gifted and talented than everyone else's grandchildren. All right? That's the, uh, that's the rule for those gatherings. Now, this morning, we're looking at the birth of Jesus, and I want to suggest to you that he is just that bit special. In fact, a bit more than a bit special. And I want to see why that is the case. Um, my grandson, uh, latest grandson, was born about seven weeks ago, Peter, and I want to say that he is a bit special. Uh, but if I'm honest, uh, he's primarily special among his family and his friends. Not too many other people can care less about Peter, really. You know, uh, you know it's sad but true. You know, that's just the reality. At this stage, he's made a splash among us. But when Jesus was born, he created much bigger waves that we still feel the ripples of 2,000 years later. Right? His birth is very significant. And I want to look at the fanfare around Jesus' birth for a few minutes, and then we'll sing, and then I'll come back and talk about its implications. So when it comes to Jesus, his birth was predicted. Now, we had about seven months' notice on the fact that Peter was going to get born, so there was a sense of prediction about that event. Uh, but with Jesus, when you read Matthew chapter 1, it refers to a prediction made by the prophet Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, this wasn't a prediction made seven months before Jesus' birth. This was closer to 700 years before Jesus was born. But the predictions actually go back even further than that. Uh, to a Western mind, when you start reading Matthew's gospel, it seems strikingly boring right? to a, to a Western mind. And that's because it begins with a genealogy or a family tree. And we didn't read it to you because we wanted you to stay awake. No, not true. But, but it, it actually is quite tedious to our way of thinking, right? 
Uh, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah. And on and on and on and on it goes. These, when we go back to Abraham, we're talking about you know, more than a thousand years before Jesus was born. And it goes on and on and on. Jehoshaphat, Zerubbabel, Azor, Eliud. Then we get to verse 16 of Matthew's gospel and we read this. Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Christ. You see, Jesus is promised by God well over a thousand years before he's actually born. He is the Christ, the promised king sent by God. He's Emmanuel, God with us. But then as you even shrink down the lens and look more closely at the events around Jesus' birth, there are some spectacular things that happen. Um, Stars are produced to lead to the birth of Jesus. There are messengers sent from God to pronounce what's going on. We even read about visiting foreign dignitaries. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Magi from the east came to Jerusalem looking for Jesus. Now, uh, tradition have it, has it there were, there were three of them, uh, you know, sort of, con- we actually don't know, uh, although three, you know, if you've ever been in a uh, Sunday school presentation and you sing We Three Kings, you know, there's an indication of how many they thought there were, uh, maybe three, possibly Persian astrologers, almost certainly they were rich, uh, given that it took them probably two years to follow the star provided by God that led them to Jesus, they needed a bit of money to sustain them over that period of time. And they also turn up with very expensive gifts. When they locate Jesus, the scene is quite normal and strange at the same time. So it's normal at one level. Uh, When our grandson Peter was born, uh, various friends and family turned up uh, with gifts, fairly normal thing to take place. Although uh, the gifts given to Jesus were quite expensive, I think, you know, my son David and Maddie, daughter-in-law, I think they would have liked to have received a few gold bars. Uh, But this wasn't what was produced when they turned up. But normal, you know, these guys turn up with gifts. Uh, But it's abnormal too. They are complete strangers. And the way they react to Jesus when they see him is odd, really odd. Matthew 2, verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Now, when Peter was born, there were gifts, there were oohs and ahs, there were, he looks just like his mother, stroke father, depending on who they were trying to play the game with. You know, it's a grandfather, if I happen to be present, you know, like there were those sort of things. But, There was a total absence of worship when Peter was born. Uh, Completely, in fact, if anyone had tried to bow down and worship worship our our grandson Peter, I would have called for a doctor, and it wouldn't have been a paediatrician. That is, it would have been very strange. In the Bible, worship is reserved properly for God. These uh, magi, these wise men, they... They weren't Jewish believers, and yet somehow they could see in Jesus God personally entering our world. 
It's a big fuss. And in just a moment, as I said, we'll sing, but in just a moment, I'm going to come back and just talk about what the fuss is all about. Why does God turn up in person like he did 2,000 years ago? Uh, what are the implications for us? But let's, uh, let's sing in the meantime. So a huge fuss around the birth of Jesus. Uh, often parents like when their kids are born to speculate about what they're going to be when they grow up. I uh, think nurse, accountant, doctor, uh, fashion stylist, all sorts of different possibilities come to mind. I've always been uh, interested in the fact that no parent ever predicts their child is going to grow up to be a mass murderer or something like that. You know, I guess that's not surprising. But uh, you know, like, but people like to speculate positively on how their kids are going to turn out. Here in the Bible, uh, we're told that there is a big fuss uh, because of the fact that Jesus is born. And it's particularly focused on what he's going to do. I don't know if you picked up the punchline in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. There's, there's an angel, a messenger from God, who speaks to Joseph and he says, Mary will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Jesus is the promised one from God sent to rescue people, sent to save them. Now, here's the thing. For us, Christmas is um, such a time of celebration. It's a time of gift giving. It's a time of lights, tinsel, trees, family gatherings, uh, lots of food, uh, lots of fun. There's just that sense of the world seems like such a, just a bit better place when we hit Christmas. And it can mask the fact that Christmas originally would never have happened unless there was a serious problem. You don't send someone on a rescue mission unless someone needs saving. Uh, You don't send out the fireys uh, over a weekend like this unless someone needs protecting and helping and saving from the flames. On the 25th of April 2006, there was a mine collapse at Beaconsfield in Tasmania. Some of you may still recall because it was such a major event in our nation. Three men went missing underground. Two days after the collapse of the mine, uh, there was a body uh, recovered, the body of Larry Knight. And then five days after the mine collapsed, they made contact with Brant Webb and Todd Russell. Uh, Brant and Todd uh, were trapped one kilometre underground in a space the size of a small wardrobe. And they'd been stuck there at five days when people worked out that they were still alive. And for days and days and days, hundreds of people, they worked and toiled around the clock to try and rescue these days. Then on the 9th of May, 14 days after these two men were trapped underground... They emerged to the surface. And if you're watching the news at the time, you know we were constantly getting updates on how it was going, whether these guys would still be alive, uh, whether they would actually be able to successfully be rescued. And then 14 days after the initial event, they came out into the bright lights of the cameras and embraced uh, their family and close friends in front of thousands of people who just roared their approval, and millions around the country who did the same quietly in their lounge rooms. 
It was just an amazing event. Friends, Christmas is all about the way in which God sent Jesus into this world on a rescue mission. But who did Jesus come to rescue? And what did he come to rescue us from? Those are the questions. Do you remember the punchline? He will save his people from their sins. Sent to save people from their sins. Now, at the risk of offending absolutely every single person in this room today, right, at that, that risk, let me say we all need rescuing from our sin. You do, you do, I do, we all do. And yet sin is one of those old-fashioned words, um, easy to reserve it for you know, bank robbers or murderers or, or drug lords. But you know, the heart of sin is the idea of not treating God the way he deserves to be treated. That's at the core of it. Not loving and honouring and respecting God the way he deserves. And you see it in some of the characters that we heard read in Matthew's Gospel. Uh, King Herod. Now, he, he was historically an evil man and a tyrant. Uh, the, um, the writers of history tell us that story. Apparently that Herod organised for hundreds of people to be killed on the day he died. And the reason he did that was because he knew he wasn't loved by anyone at all. He was despised by the people he ruled over. But he wanted to make sure that there would be a lot of grief on the day when he died and the anniversary of that day. So he arranged for hundreds of people to be killed. Herod doesn't want there to be any king except for him. And when he hears the news about Jesus, he has a violent reaction and he wants him dead. Now, the expression of our sin almost certainly won't be nearly as violent as that. But I wonder if at the heart of things, many of us are just like Herod in this sense. We all want to be the king or the ruler or the boss of our own life and we want to take control of it rather than let God tell us how we should live our lives. I'll be the boss of me. And so it's tempting to try and relegate Jesus to history rather than let him do that. Well, you may have picked up with the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They're consulted by Herod. They are Jewish experts. They know the Old Testament predictions like the one in Isaiah, and they point the Magi to Bethlehem. They have all the knowledge, they all, all the book learning, but it doesn't seem to touch their heart or their life. And it, it may be today that Christmas is a bit like that for you. Um, it's a regular re- religious sort of festival that you mark off on the occasion. And like the rest of Australia, you give thanks for public holidays. That's always good. We are Australian after all. Uh, but it, it's not something you let get, get too close to you. You hold it at a distance. Maybe like the teachers of the law. Friends, all of us fail to treat God properly the way he deserves. By rights, God should just give up on us, quite honestly. 
He should just sort of drop kick planet Earth somewhere else and start again. But he doesn't. Instead, Jesus comes into the world to remedy the problem. 30 years after his birth, Jesus went to Jerusalem. He died on a cross. And on that cross, he took the punishment for sin that every single one of us deserves to take on ourselves. The baby born in the shed makes it possible to be forgiven and to be reconciled to God. Jesus, he came to save us from our broken relationship with God. But can I say at Christmas time, it is really easy to miss the punchline. I'm going to show you a, uh, a picture on the screen right now. It's one of the world's best-known art pieces, Da Vinci's The Last Supper. Now, originally, this was a, a fresco on the dining room wall of a monastery. But unfortunately, the wall was only made of loose, packed earth. And as soon as Leonardo finished it, it began to crumble. And then later, uh, some of the monks even decided that they uh, needed to make a way of access. So they cut a doorway through this fresco, chopping off Jesus' feet. All right, that's, uh, that's what happened. Over the years, it was used for a variety of purposes, stable, storage room, barracks, even a prison. Right? But this, this fresco on the wall. Now, I bet you none of the donkeys or the soldiers or the prisoners had any idea that they were in a room with one of the great pieces of art of all time. Friends, the, the art world, it mourns that such a great treasure should be so neglected and undervalued. But can I say, if, if it's such a tragedy to treat a picture of Jesus like this, how much worse is it to treat the person of Jesus like that? To neglect him, to overlook him, to undervalue him? Or, or to just miss the point of his coming? The Magi, they spent two years looking for Jesus. And when they see him, they see God. God encountering this world. And it's interesting the way it's expressed, chapter 2, verse 10 of Matthew. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. You pick up the repetition. It's like they can't quite contain the excitement. They are, they are mega excited. And then we're told, they fell down and they worshipped. Uh, can I ask you, what do you see this Christmas? What do you see? A child, a child in a stable, in a manger? Or, or do you see the grace and the mercy and the generosity and the forgiveness and the kindness of God for you. What do you see this Christmas? Can I pray for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we haven't even begun to unpack the nature of your character, of your mercy, of your heart, uh, for lost people like us in its saving. But Father, we pray that as we ponder these things 
in our hearts as we store them away, that you'll give us that right sense of um, awe and wonder and excitement at what you've done for us in Jesus, at the fact that the, uh, the centrepiece of history is alive today, the Lord Jesus, and he extends to us forgiveness and your kindness. Uh, Father, we pray that this, this season, uh, this, this event of Christmas, even though we bring to it all sorts of issues and baggage and hurt, as well as joy and uh, celebration, but nonetheless, uh, we will be overwhelmed with that sense of your great kindness in reaching out to save the people of this world, but especially reaching out to extend your forgiveness to each one of us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Romans 5, starting at verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his Son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation.